Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. But I want to talk to you about something um, that God really started dealing with me about at the end of last year and kind of into the beginning of this year. And I'll just let you know, it might be a little bit like eating wasabi peanuts. And this is what I mean. It's very good, but it hurts a little. And you might have tears in your eyes and people might be saying, are you okay? Because you're just like, yeah, I'm fine. It's really good. It's just hot, you know? Uh, That's what some of this was like when the Holy Spirit was talking to me about it. It was great. It was very good, but it was a little spicy and I was sniffling just a bit. So (laughs) I love those, but I don't buy them at the store because one can will literally take me like eight months to finish because I can only eat like seven at a time and that's where I have to tap out, but they're so good. So anyways, you can let me know if this was like wasabi peanuts or not tonight, but I want to start in John 3.35, and this is where I took the title from this message. It's simply called Love One Another, and we see in this verse out of the New Living Translation, it says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And I think we've heard this verse a lot, but I was really kind of shook by it (laughs) probably about six months ago, especially after the last few years of coming out of COVID and everything that's happened. I feel like we saw the absolute worst of the church. And unfortunately, it was mostly on Facebook, which is a public platform, right? (laughs) Things got really nasty, really fast. I'm not sure if you were as shocked as I was, but I was very shocked. And so to read this first and think that God is saying, this is how people will know that you're my disciples because you love one another. That is really convicting when I really sat down to think of the fact that I don't think the church as a whole is known for love at all, right? And I'm not, this isn't, this part isn't personal to you guys. I'm just talking about the global church for a minute and the church in general. I don't get the feedback from really anyone that they feel as though Christians are the most loving people in the world. I don't think they think Christians love them. And I don't think they think Christians love each other. And I believe that ends up with them questioning, do Christians even love God? Because if God is love, where is he in these people, right? Where is he in these people? So this verse was so convicting. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And it's sobering to think that my proof of knowing Jesus is in how I love other people. That's the proof. Not that I show up to church every Sunday, not that I read my Bible every day, not that I brag about how much I pray, not that I give a lot of money. No, the proof of me knowing Jesus should be in how I love other people. So I want to ask us tonight, what are we proving to the world? What are we proving to the world? We're proving something to them, and I want to challenge us to make sure that we're proving the right thing. Because It's about so much more than a Facebook argument. And you have seen, or maybe you've seen, I feel like I've seen in the last several years that there are people who've lost their calling and churches who've lost their influence all because of petty offense. When it all shakes out, it wasn't even anything really big. It was just little strife, just little stuff back and forth. But I watched it disqualify people and people who were called and people who were gifted and churches that were influential. So it's a big deal. The Bible tells us 
that the little foxes can spoil the whole vineyard. So these little things that we just excuse in our lives and we think are no big deal, they're impacting the whole picture. They're impacting everything. Do you feel the wasabi? All right, me too. Petty offenses, though, they're costing us a lot, and they're not so little. So I want to remind us tonight that love is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. And I want to challenge us to remember that we can choose to respond in love to any situation. So that's what we're going to talk about tonight. And I've got a, kind of a longer passage I'm going to read to you here, and then I'll take three points that I'm pulling out of that for us to focus on tonight. And this passage is in Colossians 3, 12 through 17. And I'll be reading out of the Passion. It says this, You are always and dearly loved by God. So, rope yourself with virtues of God, since you've been divinely chosen to be holy. Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others, and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in this family of faith. Forgiving one another in the same way that you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release this same gift of forgiveness to them. For love is the supreme, excuse me, love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. Let your heart be always guided by the peace of the anointed one who called you to peace as part of his one body and always be thankful. Let the word of Christ live in you richly, flooding you with all wisdom. Apply the scriptures as you teach and instruct one another with psalms and with festive praises and with prophetic songs given to you spontaneously by the spirit. So sing to God with all your hearts. I'm still thinking about that part because I don't feel like I'm a pro of prophetic songs and spontaneously singing. So I'll preach on that another time. But verse 17 says, Let every activity of your lives and every word that comes from your lips be drenched with the beauty of our Lord Jesus, the anointed one, and bring your constant praise to God the Father because of what Christ has done for you. So I know that was a long passage, but I think the whole thing was powerful. And again, I'm going to pull three things out of that tonight that I want to remind us about loving one another. And the first is to be unoffendable. This is nearly an oxymoron, but I promise it's possible. Be unoffendable. Verse 12 said this, Be merciful as you endeavor to understand others and be compassionate, showing kindness toward all. Be gentle and humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. So I want to talk about this. We can be unoffendable. And I've thought before, well, how is this possible? If somebody says something and it offends me, then I'm offended, so how can I be unoffendable? Which is valid, right? We all hear things and then we're just like, ah, for just a second. But there is a way for us to be unoffendable and God is telling us how in this verse. It says, be unoffendable. Here's how. It says, having mercy and compassion toward others as you endeavor to understand them. So this is what I want to remind us tonight. Most offenses are rooted in the fact that you don't understand the other person. And the problem is that most of the time we don't care to understand the other person, right? Proverbs says, he who answers before listening is a fool. He who answers before listening is a fool. But how many times do we go to just answer and share our opinion about something when we don't know the person involved, we weren't present when it happened, and we have no business talking about it, right? Be unoffendable by seeking to understand the other person, endeavoring to understand them. 
There's a um, book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My dad had me read it when I was a teenager, and I really like it still today. It's an oldie but a goldie, so if you haven't read it, I do recommend it. But one of the seven habits is this, seek first to understand, then be understood. Seek first to understand, then be understood. Because when you really seek to understand the person on the other side, you won't be offended by what they say. Their behavior is not always excusable, but it is always explainable. That's how I can remain compassionate and be unoffendable because although what they did might seem unexcusable, it's explainable. There's a reason that they did that. There's a reason that they reacted that way, even if it was wrong. And the Bible is saying, hey, be gentle and be humble, unoffendable in your patience with others. The Bible also says this in Proverbs 10, 12. It says, hatred stirs old quarrels, but love overlooks insults. So many offenses in the church are just based on little petty insults, right? And here's the problem. We're good at forgiving the people that we want to forgive. Do you know who's really good at insulting people? Small children. They will pick apart the way you look. They will pick apart the way you sing. They will pick apart everything you do, your food that you cooked for them. All of it, right? <laughs> they are some, they're learning how to express their opinions in a kind way. We have all been there. Some of us are still learning that as adults, so we don't have a lot of room to talk. But we can forgive and be unoffended at the people that we want to, right? Because we can explain their behavior. It's not excusable, maybe, but it is explainable, so we're not offended. Here's the reason that we also make excuses for ourselves, because we can explain our behavior, right? Most of us easily forgive ourselves for having a bad day because we can explain it. Well, I know I was a little bit rude, but listen, this happened and that happened, and I was feeling like this, and this was really hard. Like, they just didn't understand, right? We give ourselves an excuse and a free pass because we can explain it. Explanations are valid, and we need to understand that there is an explanation for why that person treated me that way. Again, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that it's excusable, but I can have compassion because it's explainable. The way that somebody treats me has much more to do about how they feel about themselves than how they feel about me. And I know this has certainly been true in my own life. The times when I was the least kind and the least pleasant and the most critical and all of that stuff, it could be a very long list, but those were the times in my life that I was the least happy with myself. I wasn't doing well. I was anxious. I was depressed. I was frustrated. So I was able to excuse my behavior because I could explain it. And although it wasn't right of me to do that, It was a valuable lesson that when other people treat me the wrong way, I can forgive because I know there's an explanation. I know something's going on with them, and that situation wasn't really about me at all. And something that has really helped me to be unoffendable is to ask this. Did their actions or behavior really have anything to do with me? Did it really have anything to do with me? Or am I just human and I made it about me because it was convenient for me to do that and my emotions got riled up, right? Most of the time when I ask this, the answer is no, right? I work a a job where I'm in customer service essentially. So I deal with a lot of frustrated people at times. 
It's easy for me to forgive them because it's not personal. They don't even care enough about me to get mad at me. They don't know who I am. I am the front desk girl at their child's orthodontist. I don't matter in their life. That's why it's very easy if someone is frustrated with me for me to remain calm and cool and handle it and send them on their way and they're going to be fine and we're all happy at the end because it has nothing to do with me. But I have to realize even people that know me, it still most of the time has nothing to do with me. They're having a bad day. They're frustrated. They're upset. There are major things going on in their family. There are big things going on with their kids. They have a really bad health report that they've just received. If someone pops off at me, more than likely it has nothing to do with me. They would have done it to whoever was standing there. It just happened to be me. And that shift in my thinking has made it so easy for me to not get my feelings hurt when people pop off or have an attitude or have a bad day because I can explain it. I may not know exactly what's going on, but I know something is going on that has nothing to do with me so I can be unoffendable. The other question I think that's helpful is to say, okay, if this does feel like it has something with me, what's really going on with them? Let me stop and put my hurt feelings aside and care about them enough and love them enough to say, hey, you seem a little stressed. Can I help you with something? Hey, you seem like you're having a rough day. Is there anything I can pray with you about? I challenge you to do that and see if somebody is still super nasty towards you because they probably won't be. (laughs) They'll probably be very emotional and be so grateful that you checked in on them. What's really going on with this person? I stole this phrase from Miss Yolanda. She says, get curious. Instead of getting angry, why don't you get curious? What's going on with this person? They're not acting like themselves. Let me get curious and ask them, hey, what's wrong? What's going on? Even though, again, the explanation doesn't excuse their behavior, it's going to allow you to forgive them. It's going to allow you to be unoffendable. And like I said, 90% of the time in my life, it really has nothing to do with me at all when it all shakes out and I just made it about me, which, what a like American move, goodness. I mean, it's not about me. So number one, be unoffendable. The second thing I want to pull out of these verses tonight is a quote actually from A.W. Bach. It says this, forgive everyone of everything every time. Forgive everyone of everything, every time. And in verse 13 of that chapter in Colossians, it says this, tolerate the weaknesses of those in this family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way that you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. And I want to remind you tonight that forgiveness is the price of freedom. Forgiveness is the price of joy. Forgiveness is the price of peace. So I understand that in times when it's hard to forgive, it really does feel like it costs you something to let that go. I understand and I've been there. It's not always as simple as just brushing off somebody else's bad day. I know sometimes that those words can be in your heart and it feels like it costs something to get rid of it. But it does. It's because you're paying for peace. It's because you're paying for joy. It's because you're paying for healing. Letting go of that forgiveness is the cost of having your peace. And I want to think about it this way. When we consider the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, you know, the rest of them. 
Um, but I want to focus on those three. Also, I didn't write them down and I'm a little nervous I'll get them wrong. So we're going to stop there. Usually I add an extra one. I don't usually miss one, but I usually have an extra one in there historically. <laughs> but the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. These things go together because they're the result of the Holy Spirit. And it's powerful to think of it this way. When I'm choosing to love others, I'm taking on the character of the Holy Spirit. So that act to love is going to allow the other fruits of the Spirit to show up. That's what I'm saying through forgiveness. Forgiveness is the price of having joy and peace and patience because when I make that one choice to love, I'm taking on the character of God and inviting the fruits of the Holy Spirit into my life because I'm allowing him to move by following his leading and by modeling his behavior. So that choice to love will bring joy and peace every single time. And that choice to hold on to forgiveness, or excuse me, hold on to unforgiveness and hold on to hurt, that has never brought me an ounce of joy or, or peace in my life. So even in times when it felt challenging to forgive, it was really like as soon as I did it, the joy and peace came and I thought, wow, gosh, it was that easy. <laughs> Why did I hold on to that for so long? But I'll share a story from my personal life about forgiveness because, again, I understand it's, it's not always easy and it's not always just a snap decision and then, you know, it's done forever. There was a situation where somebody had hurt me. I was very upset, blah, blah, blah. I was angry. I felt like they had, you know, done a lot of damage or whatever. And so I made the decision to forgive them and... I had to make that decision every day for like probably six months. I didn't measure it, but it was a long, long time. And here's how I very practically did it. Every day when I woke up angry at that person, I would get in my car and I would drive to work and I would say, Father, I forgive them. And right now I pray for them. And even though I didn't feel like I could say that many good things about them personally, I knew that God could. So I just said things that I knew he would say about them. And it sounded like this. Father, I thank you that you have a good plan for their life. I thank you that you love them so I will love them. I thank you that they will fulfill the call that you've given them. I thank you for helping them today. And I put God's own words in my mouth toward that person. And then I woke up the next day and I was still angry. And so you could say in that situation, well, you, you didn't forgive. Or like, I could have made an excuse for myself and say, this just isn't working, right? But I knew that if I stayed with it, I would be able to change my heart and my mind through yielding to the Holy Spirit and praying for that person and demonstrating the love of God through my prayers. And so I literally had to do that every day in the car. Like I said, it felt like six months. It was a very long time. <laughs> and you know what? One day I woke up and I wasn't mad anymore. And I wasn't angry. And I wasn't thinking of that person. And I wasn't thinking of that situation. And even though in that situation, oh, it was so hard for me to forgive. It felt so hard at the time. Practicing that every day the way I did taught me how to forgive very quickly. So now when things happen, it's not hard for me to forgive. I can easily let it go because I practiced it. And I want to challenge you with that tonight. You might say, I don't feel like I can forgive that person. And you're not wrong for feeling that way, and you're not bad for feeling that way. We've all felt that way. But I want to encourage you that cost 
of forgiveness is so worth it to enjoy your joy and peace and to allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life. And it's really amazing. It's put me in a place of such peace that feels just like nobody can hurt me. And I don't mean to be like dramatic by saying that, but there's a lot of comfort in knowing, you know what? Nobody can devastate my life because <laughs> I have joy and peace and I know how to forgive. And I know how to do it when it's hard and I know how to do it when it's easy. And I know how to do it for big things and I know how to do it for little things. And because of that, I'm able to move through every day. It doesn't mean every day's perfect, but I can move through every day with joy and peace and so much security knowing that all I need is for God to love me and he already does. Other than that, there's nobody that can hurt me because I can forgive them. <laughs> they can't damage me because I can forgive them. <laughs> they can't make a, a lasting impact on my life because I can forgive them. And it takes the, away the ability for people to hurt me. And I want to read this to you tonight too out of Galatians 6, 1 through 3. It says this, live creatively, friends. If someone falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. <sighs> Wasabi. You might be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. Share their burdens and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. What a powerful statement, he says. If someone falls into sin forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. Proverbs 17, 9 echoes this. It says, love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on the failures of others devastates friendships. And this is so powerful, I especially believe, for a church like ours right now. One thing that I love about the way our church is right now is that I know pretty much everybody in the room, right? It's fun, it's awesome, and we're one big family. But the uh, shadow side of that. That's what some of somebody on a podcast I listened to the other day, he said the shadow side. I was like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like the dark side of the moon. And I read Dr. Summerall's book about that. So I have a lot of thoughts, but anyway, the, the shadow side of a church like ours, that's the size ours is right now is that it can easily turn into a high school vibe where everybody knows everybody's business and feels like they can talk about it every day in the hallway. And listen, I cannot blame a single person who would walk into this church and sense that vibe and turn right around and walk back out. They should. That's not what they're looking for in a church. That's not the kind of church we're trying to be. But there's that temptation when everybody knows everybody to start talking and just say, well, did you hear about this? Well, I just really felt like I should tell you about this. Well, I just really feel like you shouldn't tell me about that. I don't want to hear it, you know. But there's that temptation. And we, I believe we do all know and love each other. So sometimes that's coming from a place of like, well, you know, pray for this person. Well, I just felt like you should know, you know, they're just going through something right now. And so just give them grace. But listen, it says this. If somebody falls into sin, forgivingly restore him. Yeah. It says this, tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith. Don't gossip about the weaknesses of those in your family. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in your family. If somebody falls into sin, forgivingly restore him, saving your critical comments for yourself. You might need, be needing forgiveness before the day's out. Stoop down and reach out to those who are oppressed. 
share their burdens, and so complete Christ's law. If you think you're too good for that, you're badly deceived. So I want to remind us of this tonight. I know it's a little spicy, but man, you've just got to put to death that urge to talk about other people. I had to get super serious about this in my life. I had to sometimes change my friends because of this. Realize which version of you comes around Uh, comes out like around which people. Does that make sense? Who are you when you hang out with them? When you hang out with this person, do they make you want to gossip? If so, that might be a person you need to create some distance from. And there were situations where I even tried to like change that relationship a little bit if I got around this person and like our habit was to gossip. I was trying to change my ways and so I would kind of try to be like, yeah, you know, I don't, I, I, you know, I know they did that, but like I think we should just pray for them. You know, I would try to make some really vanilla statements like that at first. But then that really wasn't working and so then sometimes afterward I'd be like, hey, like I feel like this went like too far tonight. We shouldn't have been talking about that person this way. We shouldn't have been making those kind of comments comments and, and, and they agreed. But anyway, even still, every time I got around them, it was just, did you hear this? Did you hear that? Did you hear this? Did you hear that? And I don't need to be hearing any of that. It's none of my business and it's not their business to be talking about it. So as much as I love some of those people, I just had to stop hanging out with them because I didn't like who I was when I was with them. They didn't bring out the fruits of the Holy Spirit in me. They brought out the fruits of my flesh and nobody wants all that. So, you know, sometimes it does take creating a little bit of distance to make sure that you can really do this. Love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on failures of others devastates friendships. The devil will try to get you caught up in that because he's trying to devastate relationships that are in this room right now, right? Relationships for the people who really minister life to you, who are there when you really need it, who are there when you actually need prayer and not just a good time, when you actually need some financial assistance. The people who really are doing life with you, the devil is going to try to attack those relationships. But it says this, love overlooks the mistakes of others, but dwelling on failures of others devastates friendships. You can make it awkward if you need to. If someone is trying to gossip with you, eventually at some point I just had to start making uncomfortable statements like, hmm, well, I I know people would maybe do this. Here's a good example. Like, hey, do you know what's going on with so-and-so? They just like seemed like they were acting weird and I, I just heard something I don't know. It shuts the conversation down really quickly to say, I'm not really sure. Maybe you should talk to them about it. No one wants to hear that. People stopped asking me these kind of questions once I started responding that way. It got a little uncomfortable. Usually that was a quick end to the conversation and they left pretty quickly. But you know what? People quit talking to me about it, so it worked for me. But let's hold each other accountable. When we're not being loving, let's hold each other accountable and say, hey, I don't know what you heard, but let's pray for that person. If that person seems like they're going through a difficult time, let's call them and try to get to dinner get dinner with them and see how we can help them, right? If we heard that somebody sinned and somebody made a mistake and somebody made some bad decisions, let's call them and tell them we love them because haven't we all sinned and made mistakes and made bad decisions? And I'm just grateful that mine weren't part of the gossip mill typically. The whole world didn't know all of my mistakes, right? But thanks to social media and this and that and the other, there's a whole lot more of a platform for people to just like gossip and share things. Let's hold each other accountable. If someone is telling you something, that you don't need to know, let them know that you don't need to know that. Love overlooks the mistakes of others. And on this note of forgiveness, forgiving everyone of everything every time, 
was a little side trail about gossip. We'll get back on the main road here. I want to make it clear that with forgiveness, that doesn't mean that that person is allowed back in your life. That doesn't mean that you can't set boundaries. It doesn't mean that that person has access to you. But you have to realize that when you don't forgive them, you're still keeping them in your life. Even if they're not there physically, even if you don't speak to them, you're keeping the damage of their words and actions in your life every single day. So forgiveness is truly the way to remove that person from your life if that's what needs to happen. And I know in every instance, you know, that doesn't need to happen. If someone just said they didn't like your shoes, I don't know if you need to cut them off forever. But I also don't want to treat this lightly because I know some of you, you know, for some of you, this is funny. And for others of you, this is hard to hear because you're thinking, ah, I just don't know if I can forgive them. It doesn't make what they did okay. And it doesn't mean that they're allowed in your life. But forgiveness is the way for you to really be free from what happened to you. I'm not against setting boundaries, but when you don't forgive them, you're still keeping that person in your life in a destructive way. And I want to encourage you about this too. Don't wait on an apology. You don't have to wait on an apology because you don't need an apology to be healed. You don't need an apology to have joy and peace. You don't need an apology to move on from that and leave it in your past. An apology is not required for any of those things. An apology makes our emotions feel a little bit better, but it doesn't bring healing. If I stabbed you... I could say that I'm sorry, but you still need to go to the hospital, probably. I'm not that strong. I don't know if I could really hurt you, but theoretically, if I really hurt you, I can say that I'm sorry all day, but that doesn't bring healing, right? You still need healing. But the good news is healing is available even without an apology. So sometimes people are just looking for closure. And I really believe this is a tactic of the devil too, because they think that when they get it, it's just going to fix everything and make it all better. And it really won't. Apologies cannot bring healing, but the power of God can, and forgiveness can. Forgiveness can really remove that hurt from your heart and your mind and remove the effects of what happened to you in that situation. So remember that apologies don't heal, but the love of God does, and you don't need to wait on an apology. The third thing and final thing I want to talk about tonight is be an encourager of those around you, not a critic of those around you. Be an encourager of those around you, not a critic. And in verses 13 and 14 of that passage we started with, it says this. Tolerate the weaknesses of those in the family of faith, forgiving one another in the same way you've been graciously forgiven by Jesus Christ. If you find fault with someone, release the same gift of forgiveness to them. This is the part I'd like to focus on. For love is supreme and must flow through each of these virtues. Love becomes the mark of true maturity. This verse, again, it says tolerate weaknesses and not gossip about them. But when we think of being an encourager and not a critic, you have to realize when we really sit around and we criticize other people or we're gossiping about other people, we're really saying a lot about ourselves more than we are about them. When I'm critical and when I'm gossiping, I am telling all of you that I am not mature in my relationship with Jesus. The Bible just said love is the mark of true maturity. Love is the mark of true maturity. So when you are critical, it's saying so much about you. And 
one thing that I have heard so much in the last few years, and I just, oh, it's just one of those things I can't hardly stand to hear. When people say, well, that's not very Christian of them. That's not very Christian of them. You could just say, that's not very Christian of you. Like, hello, you know? But people just are looking to just criticize other people. And especially Christians like to criticize other Christians for not acting like a good Christian, even though when you do that, you're not acting like a true Christian, right? <laughs> embarrassing. People, it's embarrassing at the end of the day. So that phrase is so interesting. It's not very Christian of them. But the Bible is telling us, listen, the most Christian thing that you can do is to love one another. Love one another. Tolerate their weaknesses. And I want to remind us, it's not our job to find sin in other people's lives. It's our job to find sin in our lives. And I'm going to shake this out, I hope, in a way that, that makes sense and makes it easy because I know Christians will say, well, we, we just can't tolerate sin. And that's true. I'm not asking you to do that. But I'm reminding us of our appropriate roles. It is great that as Christians, we want to see people live lives of, uh, free of sin, right? Because we know what that means for them. If they're living a life that's free of sin, they're going to have joy. They're going to have peace. It'll be easy to receive from God. Their life's going to be great. So... Okay, foundationally, that sounds good. We want other people to live lives free of sin. But the most important thing for every Christian is for me to want to see my own life without sin, right? I want to live my life without sin because it's not my job to find sin in other people's lives. It's my job to find the sin in my own. And it says this in Romans 1, verses 28 through 32, and then we're going to go into chapter 2 and read verses 1 through 4. This is Wasabi. Get ready. Since they thought it was foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. Gossip is on that list. They're backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. I brought this verse up at the quarry and was like, y'all, don't disobey your parents. It's listed with some very foul things in this passage. I did not know that God felt that severely about it, but he says a lot and then says, and on top of it all, they disobey their parents, period, embarrassing. They refuse to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless and they have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserves to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. We're going to pause here. This was a heavy list of things to read through. None of it sounded good. Can we agree on that? Okay, but he's coming for us next. Chapter 2, verse 1. Listen, you may think that you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they're wicked and should be punished, you're condemning yourself. For you who judge others do these very same things. And we know that God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that in his kindness, it's intended to turn you from your sin? It was a lot. It's a lot. I read it at home and keep digesting because it's a lot. 
But if you take anything from this, we can, I think, agree that it is not our job to find sin in other people's life. It is not our job to judge other people for the things that they're doing wrong. It's not our job to tell Christians the wrong things that other Christians are doing. It's not our job. He said, you may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. It's not our job to find sin in other people's lives, but this is our job. I'll tell you, our job is to get people to church so that the Holy Spirit can speak to them about the sin in their lives and bring them to repentance. So I'm not asking you to be tolerant of sin or to act like sin is fine and it's fine and everybody can just live however they want to. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying find the sin in your own life and with everybody else, your job is just to get them into church because it is the love of God that draws people to repentance. Not me talking to them, not me gossiping about them, not me telling them that they shouldn't sin, not me telling them that they're living the wrong way. No, it's the love of God that brings people to repentance. So if I see a person and I think that they have a lot in their lives that they would be better off without, then my job is to get them into church where they can encounter the love of God and the Holy Spirit can speak to their heart about what they need to change. Because it is not my job to do that. My job is to find the sin in my life and deal with it. And my job with everyone else is to get them to Jesus so that he can speak to their heart. And I want to remind us of this too. This part hurts a little, but listen, when I criticize others, I'm actually employing a strategy of Satan. The Bible says that he is the accuser of the brethren. So when I choose to accuse people of what they're doing wrong, I'm trying to go about things the same way as Satan does. When I choose to criticize other people and find fault with them, I am picking up the character of Satan and acting like him. That is a tough truth to swallow. I understand, but listen to it this way. How does God deal with us? Has he ever criticized you? He sure hasn't me, and I've deserved it a thousand million times. God has never once criticized me. He has loved me. And it was his love that led me to repentance. When I get in his presence, I can't help but see the things in my life I want to change because I'm looking at a God who loves me so much, I don't want anything to come between me and him. That's what motivates me and moves me to get the sin out of my life. And the same is true for every person on the planet. Accusing them of sinning will not move them to remove the sin from their life. But bringing them into an encounter with the love of Jesus sure will. And it's so amazing to think that God doesn't criticize me and yet he moves me to change. And he does it without being critical and without putting me down and without acting disappointed and without having an attitude of like, oh, you did this again. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, you kind of have a history, so I expected this. Right? But, but how many times do Christians do that? Well, you know, he struggled with this for a really long time. He just fell off the wagon again. Well, you know, we've talked about this like 15 times. When are you really going to change? Well, they're going to change when they encounter the love of God. And it's amazing to me to think that God has brought all the change in my life that he has, and he's done it through love and encouragement, not criticism, 
not putting me down, not calling me a sinner. But you know who does criticize me and put me down? The devil, right? He's a criticizer. But God brings growth in our lives through love and encouragement. So when we want to see growth in the lives of other people, we'll see it through love and encouragement. That's how I'll see their life change. That's how I'll see them to make the decision to live differently through love and encouragement and encountering the presence of God. It's also important to think about this, and I promise I'm closing soon. We're all the body of Christ. When your actions or words damage someone else in the body, it impairs you. I will not find myself stronger or better or closer to God by criticizing other people or by hurting them. Even though maybe what I'm saying is true, if it's hurtful, then it's not going to get me anywhere. And it's actually going to hurt my life because I'm connected to them. We're all the same body. And sometimes we've heard that a lot. So we're like, oh, okay, yeah, the body of Christ. But if you think of it very legitimately, me hurting my foot doesn't help my hand, right? What a ludicrous thing to think. It's it sounds stupid to say it out loud because you're like, yeah, duh, I know. But we act like that in the body of Christ. We think that we're allowed to hurt other people and be critical and judgmental and harsh because, you know, we're trying to help them live the way God wants them to live, you know, and I just, I just don't tolerate sin. I can't stand to see people sinning. Well, I'm glad the people around me don't think that because they would have kicked me out of their lives a long time ago. Not that I'm trying to do it on purpose, but, you know, we all make mistakes. What if people had taken that attitude with me, even when I was making mistakes, even when my attitude was a disaster, even when I wasn't kind to other people. Do you know what changed my life in those times? The people who pulled me aside and said, hey, you don't seem like yourself. What's going on? You kind of acted like this, and, and I don't want to see you do that because I think it's going to make other people think bad things about you that aren't true. What's going on? Just taking the time to ask, hey, what's the explanation for this? What's really going on? Because that love and encouragement is what will bring growth in people's lives. And in closing here, I want to read out of Colossians 3 again, but I'm going to look at it in the message. And the worship team, if you guys would like to go ahead and join me, this would be a great time for you to come up. The message translation says this. So, chosen by God for this new life of love, dress in the wardrobe that God picked out for you. Compassion, kindness, humility, quiet strength, and discipline. Be even-tempered, content with second place, and quick to forgive an offense. Forgive as quickly and completely as the master forgave you. And regardless of what else you put on, wear love. It's your basic all-purpose garment. Never be without it. Let the peace of Christ keep you in tune with each other and in step with each other. And as we close here, in just a few minutes, I'm actually going to invite everybody to come to the altar if you want, or you can stay at your seat if you want. That's okay, too. But I'll be up here, and I just want us to really search our heart. And I felt like this would be a night of significance because I think there are people in the room who are just going to put things down for good and just really say, Father, I... I forgive them and I receive the peace that comes from that and I receive your joy that comes from that and I receive the healing that comes from that because I know that um, some of what we talked about tonight is just, it's petty and it's silly and it's easy that we can laugh at it.
but I'm also aware that there's people in the room and I know that the hurt that you have is very real and it came from people who shouldn't have hurt you and shouldn't have put you in the situation you were in and shouldn't have you know did what they did to you and I don't want to treat that lightly and I, I'm not making a joke of that or acting like that's a small thing but it is so worth it to come up here and just lay it down and receive healing and you don't need that person to say a word to you ever and you don't need an apology you just need to lay it down and receive the healing that God has for you tonight because it's very real and it's very life-changing and it's so amazing that it doesn't require anybody else but it's just between you and God and he can take care of that completely and maybe like my story that's not something that just goes away overnight but when you make that decision to really commit to forgive and do what it takes and pay the price of forgiveness even when it feels so hard and so difficult it is so worth it on the other side to live in freedom and to live in joy and live in peace and along those same lines too you know some of us in the room we're very good at forgiving other people but we're not good at forgiving ourselves and so I wanted to speak to you too for just a minute to say that the blood of Jesus has made you a new person. And I love in Dr. Jacob's book about the blood, he makes such a profound statement and says, if somebody knew him, you know, somebody came up and said, oh, I knew you, I knew you when you were a drug addict. He would say, well, you don't know me because that person's dead. They're not around anymore. That person doesn't exist anymore. And the same is true for you. When you're in Jesus, and when you have been brought into God's family, and and you have, have made that commitment to give your life to him, the blood of Jesus has taken care of your past. And I mean that in a very real way. And you say, how can that be true? I know what I did. You know, I'm still dealing with the aftermath of that today. I still see the effects of my decisions. But the word of God is true no matter what you see and no matter what you feel. The blood of Jesus has made you a new person and will bring restoration and healing not only in you, but in those that you feel like you hurt. So if you need to forgive yourself tonight too, you're invited to do that. And it doesn't mean again that it says what you did was okay. Some people are scared to forgive themselves because they know what they did was wrong. But like we said earlier, forgiveness doesn't justify it, you know, but it removes you from the hurt of it. And it frees you up to be who God created you to be, which is a new creation in Christ Jesus. So. I just want to invite us all up here. The worship team is going to worship. And I'll be the first one up here because it seems like every time I ask God to show me something I can correct, he does. So I'm ready to change my attitude towards anybody that he might bring up to me tonight. But I want to invite you to talk to God at your seat or to talk to God at the altar as we worship and really just deal with some of this stuff once and for all. If you feel like you struggle with gossip, bring that up here to God. You know, if you are mad at somebody in this room, bring that up here to God. If you feel like you've been hurt by somebody in the church, bring that up here to God and receive the healing and receive the peace and joy that comes through forgiveness. So we're just going to spend some time in worship and prayer. We won't drag it out all night, but we'll be here as long as we need to because I feel like the Holy Spirit is really ready just to minister to some people as we respond to him tonight. So you're welcome just to come up whenever you're ready. 
you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.